of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joy there with Jesus as we travel this God. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Amen. I'm glad you're part of it, too, and I'm glad we're here together this morning. Good to be in God's house. Amen. Good to see so many of you here. Have we got prayer requests this morning? Donnie. All right. My sister had surgery on the golf ball. Yep. Right. And then Peyton's ankle. Linda mentioned that. All right, we're going to pray for all of them. Amen. Anybody else this morning? Miss Charlotte? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Lola 19, my last eye done. I don't know what time yet. Okay. All right, we're praying for you. She's going to have cataract surgery. Pray for her on that. Anybody else? Anybody else this morning? All right, we all good? All right, well, we're going on a trip. We'll be traveling. Over the next few days, and we need your prayers for traveling mercies. We're gonna we're gonna leave here shortly after. Well, as soon as I get through preaching, and uh, head out. We're gonna drive straight through down to uh, <clears throat> down to my friend Chad Long's church in Rosanke, Texas, and be there with him in the evening service tonight. So we're gonna leave here and get there by six. It's five and a half hours. So y'all pray for us that we have a straight trip, no problems. And uh, and then we're gonna stay in Gonzales tonight and drive the rest of the way to South Padre tomorrow. So y'all pray for us have traveling mercies and have a good week while we're gone. I need some time just to relax and reflect, but we'll be doing the Wednesday night service. We'll be broadcasting that. We won't have a service tonight. Uh, I hate to do that to you, but I just feel like it's best with a baby that young trying to travel. It'd just be better to break that trip up in two days. So so I appreciate your, your willingness to do that. And like I said, I'll broadcast Wednesday night service from down there and uh, probably have a T-shirt on. I'll live with me in a T-shirt on that. I ain't I, I ain't gonna put the suit back on for Wednesday night, but but anyway, I look forward uh, look forward to doing that, and y'all pray for us, and uh, we'll come back revved up and ready to go. All right, anything else before we pray? Let's go, to the Lord, prayer. Robert, lead us in prayer. Yes. Amen. You can be seated.
marching on, marching on. For Christ count every single loss, and to crown him king, we'll toil and sing, neath the banner of the cross. Though the foe may rage and gather at the blood, let the standard be displayed. And beneath this fold as soldiers of the Lord, for the truth be not dismayed. Marching on, marching on, for Christ count everything but love. And to crown him king, we'll toil and sing, neath the banner of the cross. Over land and sea, wherever man may dwell, make the glorious tidings known. Of the crimson banner, now the story tell, while the Lord shall claim his own. Marching on, marching on, for Christ count everything but loss. And to crown him king, we'll toil and sing, seize the banner of the cross. When the glory dawns is drawing very near, it is hastening day by day. Then before our king the foe shall disappear, and the cross the world shall sway. Marching on, marching on, for Christ count everything but love, and to crown him king, we'll toil and sing, neath the banner of the cross. Amen. So just keep on going. Don't let nothing stop you. Amen. As a believer, nothing slow us down. 197. 197. God leads us along. In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the waters cold flow, face the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the blood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives the song in the night season and all the day long. Sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his dear children along. Sometimes in the valley in darkest of night, God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood. Some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song. In the night season 
and all the day long. Though sorrows befall us and Satan oppose, God leads his dear children along. Through grace we can conquer, defeat all our foes. God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Away from the mire and away from the clay, God leads his dear children along. Away up in glory, eternity day, God leads his dear children along. Come through the water, some through the blood. Some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. Praise God. 228. 228. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Covers me there with his hand. Numberless blessings. 
blessing, each bowman he crowned, and filled with his fullness divine. I sing in my rapture, glory to God, for such a Redeemer is mine. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depth of his love and covers me there with his hand. And covers me there with his hand. When clothed in his brightness, transported I rise. To meet him in clouds of the sky, his perfect salvation, his wonderful love, I'll shout with the millions on high. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. never played this song before in my life, but I ought to know it very well. My mama used to sing it to me every night before she put me to sleep. I say every night. I'm sure she used, chose other songs from time to time. But I remember this one specifically above all else because it used to scare me. Before I got saved, it scared me. And the reason it scared me is because it talks about talks about kings and kingdoms passing away. And when I thought about that, it scared me. I thought, well, if all that passes away, where will I be? And uh, But anyway, it's just a song glorifies Jesus that I hadn't sang or heard in a long time, and I thought about it last night.
And I'm going to tell you, God used that. God used that little song, Conviction of My Sin. That was the component I guess God used before he ever drew me to uh, seeing myself as a hell-bound sinner. Just as a little boy, the question came into my mind, well, if kings and kingdoms all pass away, where will I have to stand? And that troubled me. And when he hit that minor note there, that kings and kings, oh, Mama hit that note, it scared the living daylight out of me. So thank you, Mama. I appreciate that because it brought me to the realization I was a lost, hell-bound sinner, and God used that song, and I'm very thankful for it. So I just wanted to, to give a little credit where credit is due. Take your Bible. Turn with me to First Thessalonians this morning. First Thessalonians, I got I got 40 minutes, and I'm going to get done because we got to hit the road. So I'm going to do my best. I'm going to talk fast, and y'all listen fast, and we'll get done fast, all right? All right. Can y'all listen fast as I can talk? I think you can. I think we'll be all right. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 20 this morning. I think you probably found it in your Bible, so if you have, say amen. All right. Well, let's get to it this morning. Let's read. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 20, the Bible says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. But we're only going to look this morning at verses 13 through 16 this morning. So that's where we're going to be focusing. So let's, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get back into it. Heavenly Father, Lord, the best we know how, we come before your throne this morning and we ask you for your for your mercy, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God might stir within us and meet with us this morning, work, do a work in us, Lord, in our lives, open our understanding to the Word of God. Father, we pray that all distractions would be dropped and, Father, we'd be zeroed in on what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, that we'd be willing to receive of you. Help us to receive what we've been given. Lord, that's the, that's the key to it, is that we are receivers. Lord God, we just pray even now that folks will receive the message. And Lord, I pray your spirit be on me. Father, give me unction from on high to preach the word of God with authority and power. Lord, I, I ask you to forgive me of anything in my life that would hinder. Cleanse me and fill me now. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to look this morning, like I said, at verses 13 through 16. We went ahead and written down to the end of the chapter, but that's not where, how far we're going to go this morning. Uh, we're going to look at this morning at receiving the word as from God. That's what they did. They received the word as from God. Let's read 13 through 16 one more time. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Why? Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, 
the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, for they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath of God has come upon them to the uttermost. So, in the closing part of chapter 2, the other side of the picture is given. And what I mean by that, in the first 12 verses, which we which we looked at, uh, wasn't last Sunday, Sunday before, Fortino uh, was here, but, uh, but in the Sunday before, we talked about the first 12 verses where Paul preached to them, and he, he was successful in his preaching. Again, all those people got saved. It was just a powerful success what took place there. And we look at we looked in last week or week before last at, at why he preached. First Thessalonians two four, he said, But we as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Why did he preach? Because he was put in trust with the gospel. God gave him the gospel to give to other men and women and boys and girls. And so he had this and God had trusted him with it. And so he went forth and he preached it because God had trusted him with it. And he said, Even so we speak not as pleasing men but God. He said, we went and we preached trying to please God who tries our hearts. So, again, man had nothing to do with it. It was a divine commission from God that Paul was given, and Paul was trying to please God. Okay? So that's why he preached. And then how he preached, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, he said, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. He didn't come in there and try to rip their heads off. He came in there to give them what they so desperately needed, which was salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, and they turned from their idols to the living God. So why did he have such phenomenal results? Well, aspects of every sermon are, number one, the delivery, but then there's the hearing. So there's two parts. I can get, look, God put his hand on me. I preach a powerful message, and, 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 and he used me, and it ain't me, it's him. But if, if you're out there worried about what's going on, what time the ball game comes on, and I know it's kickoff Sunday, so I, I probably got one in here at least that's worried about what time the ball game comes on. They checked it. But, uh, but you know, you'd miss the whole thing because you didn't receive it. I'm picking on him, yeah. He knows I'm picking on him. It's all right. It's at 730. You ain't got to worry about it. You, you'll make it fine. But uh, but anyway, what I'm trying to say, the teacher or the, or the preacher has a responsibility to accurately deliver the message. That's on me. If I get up here and tell you a lie or something that ain't true, I'd do it accidentally if I did. But if I were to do that, that would be on me. That would be my responsibility. But, and and again, I I have a responsibility to deliver it accurately. I have a responsibility to try to make it relevant and interesting to you. But you have an equal responsibility to listen, to receive it, and to apply it joyfully. That's right. Woo, that's right. Cheer for that, amen. You cheer what you're at the ball game. Amen. We ought to cheer for the word of God. Um but everybody listens to sermons from, from different vantage points. I realize that. Preacher listen to the sermon. I listen to a sermon sometimes to see if I can I, I can help get a message or get some illustration out of something that I can use at a later time. So when I'm listening to a message, I'm listening trying to find some, some things that I can put together and give you some. Uh, but, you know, a Sunday school teacher may sit and listen to a sermon and see if she can get some information for her lesson to give to her students. 
You know, a person that's lonely, they may just be sitting there listening to a sermon to seek comfort of somebody else, listen to somebody else's voice. You know, a, a lost person, they may be listening, seeking salvation. Backslidden prodigal may be listening to find a way back home. And there's all different kinds of reasons why we'd be listening. But some of them ain't good. Some of the reasons people are listening are not good. Sometimes Christians even don't come with an open heart to receive things from God. I'll give you an example. I kind of touched on it earlier in Sunday school. But sometimes people become occupied with the messenger instead of the message and the Savior. They they weren't about, you know, what's he wearing or or what kind of of way does he put that or I don't like the way he talks or he clears his voice, the throat too much. Or, you know, you get preoccupied with everything else and I got enough ticks for for. For a hound dog, I know that. Hey, look, I, I do all kinds of funky things when I'm up here. I understand that. And, and they're my problems. But don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Okay? Um, again, we get occupied with the message instead of uh, – uh, we get occupied with the messenger instead of the message. Now, turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. We're going to read that real quick. Matthew 13. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Matthew 13, 1 through 9. The Bible says there in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And a great and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. Okay, we're going to talk about where they're landing. That's the main thing is where the seeds are landing. All right, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. You know, fowls in the Bible usually pictured the devil or his or his fallen angels. So that seed fell by the wayside, and they came and snatched it up. And some fell on stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith when it sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth, uh, and when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, and they withered away. And some fell on thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell unto good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now I want you to look down verse 18 through 23. He finishes up this parable by, by, by saying this, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. He said, when one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he which heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet he hath not rooted himself, but dureth for a while, or, or endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he's offended. He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, but the care of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So again, we're talking about the receiving of the word, and the seed is pictured in this parable as the word of God 
and he's talking about the different places that try to receive the seed. And, of course, the wayside is like a sidewalk. There's nowhere for it to grow. The stony places, there, there's no soil there. It won't grow because the sun burns it. The thorny places choke it out. There's only one soil that he sells that's worth anything, and that's the good soil, the good ground. And that ground has been worked and prepared and sealed and ready for the soil. And when it goes in the ground, what does it do? The, the seed dies and it springs forth into a plant that bears fruit, which is exactly the picture of a believer when one gets saved. They're to grow and they're to produce fruit for the Lord. So what are you trying to say? The degree to which the seed of God's word takes root and produces fruit in the life of a person is directly related to the degree of preparation in the soil of the heart. If your heart is not prepared to receive it, you won't receive it because only prepared hearts receive and respond to the good message of the truth. Only believer, I'm sorry, the believers at Thessalonica, they had good soil. They, they had hearts of good soil. They were ready to hear God's word, and that produced a rich harvest in their life because they were ready to receive it. But they not only loved and received Paul, which they did because of the way he came to them, and we talked about that, how he loved them, and he treated them with love and nourished them and cherished them, but they also received the message he delivered, not as his message, but as the word of God. 13, for this cause, also thank we God without ceasing. You know, we should praise God every time we think about it. Why? Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of me. You didn't say, well, that sounds good, fellas. We'll just watch y'all and check y'all out. No, they took it. They said, hey, that's God's word. They believed it as it is. They took it at face value. They didn't question it and get and scrutinize it. No, they said, that's, that has to be God's word. And the Bible said, which effectually worketh also in you the belief. So when you receive it, it works in you. It doesn't sit there dormant. The word of God works in your life. Again, they received it not just because Paul delivered it, but the thing, uh, the thing that they had in them, it overjoyed them. It overjoyed them when they got God's word down in their heart. They received it, now again, not as the word of men, but as the authoritative word of God. Why? Because it came from God. And we find proof in this, in the verses that follow. But one of the most surprising effects of the preaching of God's word, it has power to stir up violent opposition. Violent opposition. And it's been true ever since the first generation of believers. That God, I mean, you look back at what happened when when the, when the early New Testament church began to preach. What did they do? They killed James. They tried to kill Peter. I mean, they were they were harassing them all over the place in Jerusalem. Trials came almost instantly for this group of new believers, and they were under bitter persecution. In Acts seventeen, I won't have you turn there. I'm going to read three verses. You can just listen to me. 17, 5 through 7, the Bible says, But the Jews which believed not, this is the account of them going to Thessalonica, the Jews which believed not moved with envy. They were jealous. They didn't believe the message Paul brought. Remember, he went to the synagogue first. He preached to them. They didn't hear it. They had nothing to do with it. They said, We don't believe that. We don't believe he's the Son of God. We, we, we believe God and God only. Don't bring this strange doctrine in here. And, and they got mad. They said, Hey, they're going to disrupt our. They're going to disrupt our our our, uh, our synagogue. They're going to take. They're taking people away from us. They're they're stealing people out from under us. We're gonna we ain't gonna have the same offerings we've been having. You know, it's gonna cut into our payroll. Our, our payroll. 
We, we won't be getting as much pay, fellas. We're going to have to stop this. What did they do? They, they, so they went and they found, they took under them certain lewd fellows. I don't know what a lewd fellow is, right? That's somebody that beats about anything. That's somebody that got a foul mouth and a worse attitude. They don't mind busting some heads for somebody for a little, for maybe some beer money. Lewd fellas. All right? And they went and found some of them of the baser sort, which means some of the worst you could find. I'm talking about those who have no problem going down the street and busting windows out of a business or setting somebody's house on fire or, or, or assaulting somebody for no reason whatsoever. They went and got a bunch of those guys, and they went down, and the Bible said they set the city on an uproar, which means there's a whole bunch of them, and they went down through the street shouting and tearing up stuff and causing the biggest uproar you ever seen, and they went down to where the church had been meeting in the house of Jason, and the Bible said, and they assaulted the house of Jason, which means the whole crowd come running in there, and they started whooping Jason and his wife and his kids and, and, and beating them and, and probably dragging them out of their house, uh, kicking and screaming and everything else. All right? And he said, and they, they found them, they drew them, and certain brethren, so it was other people and members of that church, unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. They have messed everything up. Whom Jason hath received, he brought them in here. These all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. So these are lawbreakers. They don't worship Caesar. They say there's another king, and his name's Jesus. So it was not pretty for these believers. As soon as they got saved, I mean, they hadn't been saved, but just, I mean, it only been three weeks Paul had been there. And you know it didn't all happen the first week. It was probably happening the second, probably still in the process of happening the third week. And so what is it? The church is being built. It's starting to grow. It's made, fruit is being produced. And all of a sudden the devil just comes in and just tries to tear it to pieces. But, it did, but he couldn't. But he couldn't. Why? Because they received it. Paul told them in verses 14 and 15 that they became followers of others who were persecuted before they were. Again, verse 14 and 15, he said, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. He said, See, y'all are just like them down there in Jerusalem. He said, For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen. Well, the Jews did. I mean, people turned on them. They were ready to they were ready to run them out and, and, and have them all killed, arrested, whatever. I mean, they hated the fact that they were preaching the name of the Lord Jesus. Those Jews there in, in Jerusalem, they hated it. And they wanted Paul dead. And they wanted they wanted the leaders of the church dead, so they thought they could get rid of them. He said, y'all have suffered like things of your own countrymen. And these are not Jews. Uh, these are, I mean, they, some of them are Jews, but, I'm, but they're suffering at the hands of the Gentiles as well. He said, even as they have of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. You know, one of the most difficult experiences a Christian can have in their life is when you take a stand for Christ and your own loved ones turn on you. And that can happen. It, ha it certainly happened back then. And it happens if a Jew gets saved today, it'll happen to them. An Orthodox Jew, if they trust Christ as their Savior, their family will disown them and treat them as if they are dead. They want nothing more to do with them. And 
you take somebody. Uh, I saw this happen a lot, especially when I was in Bible college, and we were we were uh, reaching into very poor neighborhoods and big cities. And you take somebody who's uh, living in a home. I, I I remember one in particular. We rode the bus. I pick them up. It was Ricky and Kiki and Bree Bree. That was their names. Three little black children from Shreveport. They lived with their grandmother, who was a prostitute, and a, and a bootlegger. And and we picked them up for church. Grandmother would be so happy. She had a whole half a day where she didn't have to deal with kids, and she could do whatever she wanted to do. I tell you, it's but those kids get saved, and they go back into that environment, and they're little kids in a in a world of wickedness. And I and I always thought to myself. I mean, I'm thankful they're saved. I'm so thankful that they know Christ is their Savior. But what a life they got to live. What a life they got to endure. What a struggle it's going to be for them trying to live in this environment, in this world. But I, And as tough as that is, I can't imagine what it was like for these Thessalonican believers living in a pagan world. That I mean, that's, they're the only church in that whole region. I mean, the only one that's, that, that's literally thriving for the Lord. I know there's one down in Philippi. It's a small work, but but they're they're way they're they're a good distance from Philippi, and they're the only group of Christians there are right there. So, you know, it, and again, that today, if you're in the right part of the world, you get saved. It can be that way too, and people are violently oppose you. And what a young Christian does under those circumstances is a test of whether or not their faith is real. Do you come apart? Do you give up? Do you walk away when you get when you face opposition, or or do you stand strong and go take your burdens to the Lord and lay them at His feet? <clears throat> the Thessalonians, what did they done? They stood true. They didn't care who opposed them. They stood true. Uh, and 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 again, their persecution wasn't peculiar to them, because Paul told them how it had been in Jerusalem. It, it, at the time, they had both killed the Lord Jesus and killed their own prophet, persecuted us. And they please not God. They're contrary to all men. Paul was a Jew, and he was persecuted by his own fellow countrymen, just like Christ had been crucified by his own people. He knew what it was like to be run out and to be hated and be despised. And they're going through the similar experience with their own people. Opposition to the apostles, it, it went so far as to be described in verse 16 as forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. They hated the fact that they were telling the Gentiles who they considered to be dogs. They they hated the Gentiles. They despised them, and yet they didn't want them to be saved. He said to fill up their sin always. They, 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 they absolutely hated righteousness when it came to the Jesus Christ. They wanted, nothing, they wanted nothing to do with salvation being taught anywhere to anybody. And the Bible says wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now, some people down through the years have accused Apostle Paul of being anti-Semitic, hating the Jews. But that's ridiculous. But Paul knew better than anybody the bitter hatred that the Jews had for the Christians. Because he'd been on both sides of the issue. He'd been the hunter and the hunted. And what he said here about the Jewish people in his day, he was just simply stating the facts of what it was. Jesus also pronounced judgment on the Jews for their unbelief. And, and I know Jesus wasn't anti-Semitic. He wasn't anti-Jew. Matthew 23, 35, he said that, Jesus said this, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel and the blood of Zacharias, son of 
Barakas, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. Again, the, 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 the persecution that Paul had been facing in Thessalonica was instigated, again, by the unbelieving Jews. Verse 5 of Acts 17, But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took upon them certain lewd fellows. I read that to you. So again, all this happened because of the Jews. But we need to not forget that Paul had a deep love for them. He loved them with all his heart, and he wanted them to be saved. Romans 9, 1 through 5, he said, That's not the truth. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accused, I'm sorry, I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. He said, I wish, I have continual sorrow in my heart, heaviness in my heart, because they're lost and they're on their way to hell, and he said, I, if I could, I'd say, God, send me to hell and let them all go to heaven. That's what he's literally saying. That's tough right there. That's love. There ain't a bit of hatred in Paul. Can you imagine him going and carrying that love for the Jews and them just hating him constantly and trying to destroy him, trying to stop him at every turn, and yet he loved them so much he would have died and went to hell in their place? That's love. That's that's what that's what God's salvation will do in the life of somebody that will let it bloom and grow. You, you can look at somebody you hate and say, I love you anyway. And you say hate. I don't mean hate like you hate them. Somebody that hates you, rather. Somebody that despises and wants to destroy you. You can look at them and say, I love you because I want you to be saved. I wondered this morning, do you pray for your enemies? Do you pray for your enemies? Because if you don't pray for your enemies, you should. The Bible tells us to pray for those that, that despitefully use us and persecute us. We're to lift them up in prayer. Here's how you pray. You say, God, please save my enemies. Draw them to yourself that we be enemies no more. Because once they get right with God, they won't be an enemy of yours. They'll love the same God you love. Again, Paul said in Romans 10:1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. In chapter 11, verse 1, he continues, he said, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't hate them. He wanted them to be saved. And uh, then there's that last statement there. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. And there's several views on that statement that was made. Some take it to refer to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in A.D. 70, which was about to take place in just a few years. But that wouldn't directly affect the Jews in Thessalonica, so I mean, it really doesn't make any sense that he would have been called, talking about that because, again, they're in Thessalonica. They're, they're way over here, and, and Jerusalem's way over here. So they're not, they're not going to be affected by that. Um, and some others, they take it to refer to the time of Jacob's trouble, the, the wrath of the future tribulation, which is to come on the earth, or the eternal wrath of, of hell, since there's so much in the Thessalonians' letters about the coming wrath that's, that, that, that's going to come. But the text says that this wrath has already come upon them. It's already come upon them. In the Greek, the verb phano, P-H-T-A-N-O, means it's come upon it's in the aorist, aorist 
past tense. It means it's already happened. So we can't really shoehorn this statement into a particular view. We just need to let the Bible speak. And the best view of this statement refers that God's wrath has come upon them in the form of spiritual blindness and the hardness of their hearts. It came upon the majority of the Jews because of their unbelief. Let me read that to you. Romans 11, 7 through 10. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which she seek, he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. The rest were blinded. According as it has written, as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. Now, why would that happen? It would be because they rejected the Messiah. And God took his hand off of Israel. And this, during this time of, of darkness, God has not had his hand back on Israel. And he will not until the time of tribulation comes, and that's when all the focus will be turned back on to Israel, and she'll go through that tribulation period. And then during that period is when she'll come back to Christ. Romans eleven twenty five, Paul said, But I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Again, that's the end of this period of grace. And you, you and I sit on the threshold of it right now. We're, we're sitting at the end of this age of grace. Christ is soon to come. The key point here, though, is that the opposition of the world and the unbelieving heart is brought out when a person faithfully preaches Christ. The world hates it. They don't want to hear, they don't want to hear that Jesus is the only way. They feel like, hey, I, I'm a good enough person. I can work my way there. It does, as, long as, as long as God knows my heart that I'm a good person, he'll see that and let me into heaven. That don't work, though. That don't work, though, because that sin nature controls it all. Sin nature. I've told, I can't tell you, I've told thousands of people, thousands and thousands, we don't have a sin eraser. Even if we can start now and, and not do wrong from here on out, what do we do about all those we've already committed? We can't go back and erase them. They're there on the permanent record. They always tell you when you're a kid, you better watch what you do. That'll go on your permanent record. They used to tell me when I was a kid. That'll go on your, my grandparents, that'll go on your permanent record. They always warned me of that. Well, I'd hate to see my permanent record because I'm sure there's a lot of stuff on it. But I'll tell you, Permanent record is going to follow somebody to heaven. They don't know Christ. But when Christ, when Christ, when somebody believes on Christ, Hallelujah! That blood just washes that permanent record completely clean, and there ain't nothing on it—not a spot, nor a stain, nor a mark. Hallelujah! The world, the Jew, and the Gentile—they don't really oppose morality. They're okay with you being a moral person. This world doesn't mind you being a good person. They don't, they don't really even oppose religion, to be honest with you. Well, what they do oppose is bona fide, blood-washed, life-changing, transforming Christianity. That's what this world hates. This world does not want Christ and him crucified. 
It doesn't want a gospel that ignores human merit, what we can do, that exposes human pride, that calls sinners to trust in Christ and him alone for salvation and forgiveness. The world don't want that. Oh, no. When we take our stand for Christ and his word, we can expect some opposition from this world. This world don't like it. This world wants to plug its ears and say, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. Shut up. Leave me alone. Get out of my face. Get off my doorstep. Get out of my street. Get off my sidewalk. Go back to your four walls of church, and you keep that stuff there, buddy. That's what the world says. But that ain't, the, world, the world is my pulpit, not just inside here. The world is yours, too. So I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a pastor to preach the gospel. The gospel is simple. You're a sinner. Jesus died for you. His death, burial, and resurrection is all for your sins. Paid the price. He came up out of the grave. If you'll believe and trust him for the payment of your sins, you'll be born again, saved forevermore. It's that simple. You can tell somebody that. You know how to tell somebody that. And when you tell people out there, people start looking at you sideways. There's something wrong with you. Why are you, why are you trying to stir up trouble? Why are you trying to cause a problem? Why are you disturbing the peace? They don't like it. You know what? God commanded me to do it whether they like it or not. And God commanded you to do it whether they like it or not. The world don't want a gospel. The world does not want it. And we're going to face opposition. And I close with this talk. John 15, 20, 21. Jesus said, Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will also keep you. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So I've got to go through some troubles, probably. I don't know too many Christians that don't have troubles. But, you know, here's the great thing about it. Somebody might say, oh, boy, now i got to deal with all this. i got to deal with all these extra troubles. You're going to face troubles in life regardless. But now with Christ, with the Holy Spirit of God living in you, you've got to set a Holy Ghost shock absorbers for every bump you're going to get in life. Amen? And them, that, Holy Ghost, that Holy Ghost shock absorber that you got in your life that gives you comfort and peace, sure is good over them bumps of life. It sure is good in the midst of them storms. Amen? And, and the Lord tells us in James 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When the troubles come to you, when the opposition comes, count it joy. Let me tell you why, and I'm closing. You set out to serve the Lord. You set out to try to witness and share Jesus with somebody. And the devil shows up to oppose you. Let me tell you something. There's a Holy Ghost power that come over you in that moment. There is an assurance like nobody's business that comes over you. And you, you'll, you'll find that you speak to the Lord like you never knew you could speak to the Lord. Because it's not you. It's God working in you. Amen? It's in those moments when your faith is tried that it really proves itself to be real. When a faith that isn't tried ain't going to testify much, but one that is tried and is proven, man, there's something there. There's some power there. So don't run. Don't run from your faith being tested. Don't run from opposition. Embrace it and give it to God. And God will take you through it. He took them folks to it. And he took Paul to it. And he'll take you through it. Amen. Let's stand together.
Well, praise God. We're going to sing number 118. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we do. 118. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we know we're in a world where we're going to face opposition if we stand for you. Lord, we know that the opposition will only get stronger as this world inches closer to uh, your coming. And, Father, we just pray. We pray now that you strengthen us. And, Lord, you give us, you give us grace equal to our tasks. You give us grace equal to, Lord, to our, the opposition we face. And, Lord, we thank you for it, and we know you'll carry us through. Lord, you've never failed anybody. Bless the invitation. I pray, Father, for the invitation, Lord, that we'd make a decision to have a resolve in us to never give up, never bend, never quit, just because times get tough, that we'll continue to stand for you and proclaim you, even in the face of opposition. Father, I thank you for these folks. Bless them and help them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing 118. I need thee every hour. God moved on you. Come to the altar. I need thee every hour. Oh, Temptations lose their power when thou art not. 